the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. Today I have the great pleasure of hosting two of my friends and colleagues, Dr. Randy Hetherington and Bryn Spence, to talk about the subject of changing schools. In this episode, we talk about some tips, some tricks, and some practical advice that may help you if you ever have the experience of changing or starting at a new school as a school leader. If you like this episode, please rate us on iTunes or on Spotify and subscribe to our podcast to catch all of the latest episodes. I am here with two of my esteemed colleagues, Bryn Spence and Dr. Randy Hetherington today. And uh, gentlemen, we have been speaking a little bit before we got on the mic and started recording here about moves, about leadership moves, about coming to new schools, about uh, what that looks like. And we were talking about how this happens quite regularly. I mean, the frequency varies from district to district, but it's interesting to see how little specific information is around that. Um, and, and perhaps, uh, I think that we, we talked about, there's a, there's a lot of information out that would help us with moves. How do you deal with that move? But perhaps not framed in the way that we are looking at it today. And so the question here is... Uh, when you go to a new school and you are a leader, what are some of the best practices? What does research say around how to move into that school, how to have uh, an effect, a positive effect, and go from there? And I'm going to start uh, by putting it over to you, uh, Dr. Hetherington. I know you, you, uh, you've lived this. Um, I know you've looked at research that would help us with that. And so when we talk about this, what are some of the things that you think about? Sure. Thanks, Brian. The whole concept of um, leadership moves and uh, especially, and I, I want to refer to um, to principalships and vice principalships as, as middle or upper management type positions, certainly not the top of the food chain at the superintendency, but, but at the upper end of those changes. And for years, for decades, arguably, there have been these regular changes at those positions in large part, I think, uh, if you go back to the Carver business model, it, it, keeping people focused on their own their own site, their own enterprise, um, such that they, you know, by the time they get comfortable, I mean, your first year, you're just learning about your new place, who's in it, what the community's about, etc. That first year is a lot of listening, a lot of learning. You're as much a learner as you are a leader. Uh, in that phase. And, and that arguably is true right into your second year as you start to see what can be done, what needs to be done, and how to do it. Um, there is a term, and it's an older term, uh, environmental scanning. Uh, and there are certainly newer versions of that. But I still like that that phrase because it, it talks about 
you taking a broad view, just like you did in your driver's training. They always tell you to see the big picture. Uh, what is the culture uh, of the school, about of the parents, the teachers, the students? How do those interactions happen? What are the traditions that exist there? What, what do they all believe are the untouchables or are the things that have to keep happening? Uh, what values and beliefs undergird those things uh, are, are at the base of those? And, and perhaps even more importantly, what is the level of collective efficacy in that building? Do all the people in it believe in all the people in it and believe that together they're a good team, they're a strong team, and that they can accomplish things together? And, and, and what is that kind of situation? I, I don't want to suggest that when you go into a new school, you don't do any changes, you don't make anything happen. I'm sure we'll get to that later in this discussion, you know, kind of things you can do. But you can't go in and try to make changes right off the hop because a lot of things haven't happened that I know you gentlemen know are, are strongly rooted in the literature because you got to earn their trust. You, you've got to become a trusted leader in that scenario. You have to invest some time, build capacity, and a few other things. So just as kind of a starting place, that environmental scanning, I think, is huge. Um, when, when you go into any new building, you have to take the time to understand all aspects of where you have moved to at, and where your leadership is now positioned, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think it does. Uh, Bryn, over to you. Um, starting in a new school, what are some of the things that you initially think about in those first few months and years? Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with Randy that, you know, it's it's not about coming in. And I I think um, sometimes it's easy to, to fall into a trap of, of looking at where you're comfortable and where you are. And then how do I change the area or the, the place that I'm moving into to be more like that? And I think it, Randy's absolutely right that it's about sitting back and listening and being get, uh, gathering that information and, and kind of getting a really good sense of, of what the environment looks like, uh, as well as building those, those relationships. I mean, trust is foundational for everything that we do and, and building that sense of trust and, and, uh, ability to work with, with your staff to kind of orient yourself to the space and, and build those, um, those relationships with people who will help you to understand how things are actually going as opposed to how things appear to be going. Because I think that's the other thing is, as you move into a new building, you start to uncover things that um, maybe you don't, uh, you don't, you feel like could be done a different, different way. And, and then starting to, to work on those because what, uh, what appears to be on the surface is not always what is actually happening underneath. Right. And so uh, being aware of that as well. Yeah. One of the things that I think about is, um, shared and common understanding. And it's this idea of communication that we think is happening, but we're seeing it through a different frame. And so through our lived experience, through another building or in other experiences, we think that we're talking about one thing, but in reality, and usually um, down the road, not, not immediately, we realize that we thought we were talking about the same thing, but we were actually talking about significantly different things. Or we thought that was one way of doing things, or we thought that they understood the way that <laughs> we, we thought we had a common understanding on the way we were going to proceed. And that doesn't happen. And it talks to this idea that that 
shared understanding comes with time. And I think that there are some things we can do to increase or or shorten the time that that happens. And and that's through interaction and that's through having conversation. But it's also the realization that when we walk into a building, there's going to be some communication gaps. There's going to be times when we just, we think that the message is clear, but it's, it's actually not. And we both, probably everyone thinks that it is, but it's, it, there's a miscommunication there. There's not, it's not actually getting through. And um, yeah, I think that that's, that's a lived experience that I think that anyone coming into a building has. Corey, if I, if I can build on that, because you, you, in, you really put in a, a, a great feature in when you spoke of time and the investment of time, uh, because as you go, uh, and, and you just articulated quite clearly that Sometimes you think you're both talking about A and you realize one's talking about A and one's talking about B. Um, and, and that's a part of that investment of time, especially in your first year uh, in a new building. It takes time to know your people. And and you can't, when when we say it takes time, it, that just rolls off the tongue, but there's a there's an action to that. You have to be in the hallways in the morning. You have to be going around through the classrooms. You have to be around after school, having just those casual informal chats with teachers and and support staff and others to find out who they are, why they are, what they think, what they believe, and give them those opportunities to seek clarity. And I know this will come as a huge shock to you, but this is tied to a very important part of the literature around supervision. And too often people equate evaluation and supervision, and they think they're the same process, and they're entirely different. Supervision can often lead to evaluation down the road, but that's another whole topic for another day. But if you're going to properly supervise your school from the day you're appointed as the new leader at that school, your supervision starts. And it's a 24-7, 365 activity that you engage in. And it involves you being in the physical community where your school resides and seeing the businesses and being visible and having them know you and you know them. It means being in your schools, greeting parents at drop off in the morning. It means walking around through the hallways while classes are in session, seeing how classes are running. All of that. I mean, there's entire textbooks. Uh, Glickman, uh, probably the leader in in that work, uh, North America-wise anyway. Um, but And there are others. But that work, that supervision piece is huge as a leader. And you nailed it when you talked about time because supervision, when done properly, takes time. And sometimes we as leaders have to understand the impact that has on our families and on our the other parts of our lives and other things because there's just no substitution for putting in the minutes. I think that's a really uh, important idea, Randy. And I think that it's a it's a key piece of that initial uh, work that needs to happen, right? Like you said, right from the day that it gets announced is is helping people to understand um, how you approach supervision and how you approach um, being in your school community. Because I think that everybody has a slightly different take on what that looks like and, and the way that I do it and the way that Corey does it or the way that Randy does it. Well, there's similarities, there are differences as well. And so helping staff to understand kind of that whole idea of what, what can you expect from me? What, what's this going to look like? What, uh, if you see me in the hall, 
you know, don't think that uh, I'm responding to something specific. And sometimes I'm just there to observe. Or uh, when I come into your class, I don't want you to stop instruction and, and kind of acknowledge me even in some cases. And so really giving people the kind of the rules of engagement, if you will, about how does this work and how do we work together to build a great uh, a great community that's that built on that foundation of trust. And I think that's a huge piece, like we talked about, is is that foundation of trust. When it's when it's first announced, you know, how do you start to engage with staff and open those lines of communication um, to to start uh, kind of orienting yourself to to what their perspective is and realizing that you know their perspective is their reality and and how do we help uh, move forward and, and build a, a strong school community. You know what, Bryn, I'm going to, I want you to expand on that because I know that when I was moving schools, you helped me out a lot with um, a practical example of one of the things that you did before you even arrived at the school. So you knew that you were moving and you were finishing up at your previous school and you were moving into the new school. And uh, maybe just talk a little bit about what you did there to to get to know, to to ask some questions and to gain some information before you even arrived. Sure. Yeah. It was an interesting uh, experience because I had the uh, opportunity, if you will, to make my move uh, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, in the middle of, of basically a lockdown when we were fully online. And uh, so some of the things that I would normally do just being in the school and, and uh, I know when I moved to my the school that I was leaving, one of the things that I, I did is I spent lots of time in the school in, in June. Uh, and I know I, I go back to uh, Randy when when we started with you at Broxton. You spent a, a significant amount of time in the in the school leading up to um, actually starting as the principal, but just orienting to that space and and kind of being a visible uh, commodity within the within yeah. the, the school building. And so I was trying to think about uh, ways to do that because going to be in the school at that point. Um, I could be in the physical building, but there were no kids and no staff uh, essentially in there. And so it was, it was kind of pointless. And so trying to find some ways to open those lines of communication in a slightly different way. One of the things that I did is over a 12 week period, I had kind of a getting to know um, activity that I would send out every Monday morning uh, asking for, for staff feedback. And so um, some of them were fun. Like uh, if if you were to pick a, a song, what what song best represents the a day in the life at the school? Um, other ones were, um, you know, you have a, a tweet, so you have 140 characters to tell me the best thing about our our school, um, and different things like that. So some of them were fun, and then other ones were, you know, okay, so let's dream big. Like what is what would what would make the school better? What is what is what's the one thing that if you could pick one thing to change, what's the one thing that we need to do to make the school better? Um, and then also, you know, what are the what are the things that we really hold near and dear to our hearts? What are the things that that really make us who we are, and we're not open to changing that? Like, stay away from this. Um, and so, how do you build those those kind of structures within? Uh, within that environment. And then it was, it was interesting to see uh, staff response. And some of the questions there were, there was lots of response. Um, some of the response questions, there wasn't a lot of response. Uh, and, but it, it really gave me a flavor for the school that I was walking into. And I think the biggest thing that it did is it started to allow me to get to know staff and it started to allow me to um, open those lines of communication because what would eventually happen is they would respond. I could respond back to them 
and we could get some dialogue going. Um, and then from that, there were a few opportunities to connect uh, in a virtual environment. So Google meets uh, with individual staff members to kind of start to put names to faces and things like that. Bryn, that's a, what you what you just struck on there or something. I, I mean, I was privileged to have two very uh, highly qualified and skilled assistant principals on one of my moves to, to Broxton Park. And, and what you just described, I, I think another benefit of, of what you just spoke about doing there is what back in the Broxton days we called ways. We asked, you said, therefore, here's what we're doing. And it, it allowed you to build that trust because they could see you were asking them questions. They were taking their time to give you uh, an honest response and they could see you process it, respond to them. I'm sure in many cases, act upon some of those needs, desires, wants, etc., and look for some of those small wins that we look for early on so that our, our community understands that, yeah, we can be trusted that if we say this is what we believe and this is what we're going to do, that it's going to happen and that it's going to get done and that those things are going to be accomplished. I don't know, Corey, if you, cause you, you were a big person for doing that, especially with your immersion yeah. folks, as I recall. Well, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think that that's important, but one of the things that I found because, um, you know, I just mercilessly stole Bryn's idea. And, uh, what I did is, is, is I was actually impressed with the candor. Sometimes when you um, are, are caught up in the day-to-day operations of schools and you have uh, existing relationships, I was worried that I was just going to get canned responses when, when I asked some pretty deep questions. I was surprised by the candor. And, and exactly as Bryn said, I was able to follow up and said, what did you mean by that? What is, why would you think that? Or when you're talking about this, this is an established practice at the school. Why isn't it working? What might we change that with? And, and so that was really important. And then for them to go and see that you're actually doing something with that feedback, that's really, really, really important. Um, it builds that trust as we talked about from the hop. And what it does as well is it lets them know that their voice is heard, um, that there's a collective response, and that when they say something, it's actually it can be um, it can be actually taken for for truth and 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 will be acted upon. So I want to talk about one next thing, and that is uh, what we a little bit alluded to, but I want to delve into it a little bit more. And one of the things that I think really helped when we uh, started to make really good progress was a shared vision, mission, and some values. I want to kick it over to you, Dr. Hetherington, to to start us off there, because I know this is uh, a lot of your work. And it's one of the things that I think if you don't establish right away, you're going to have difficulty with all of the things we talked about, whether that be communication, whether that be about where, where direction we're going. So I want to bring it over to you. Uh, mission, vision, values. Sure. And, and uh, as luck would have it, uh, in my years as a member of the Administrator Instructor Corps for the Alberta Teachers Association, the one workshop I probably gave more often than any other was the one on mission, vision, values, uh, and goals. And where this is heavily connected, and, and I think we didn't, we forgot to mention this maybe at the start. Yes, you're coming to a new school as a new leader, but it represents a change for everyone in the building, everyone in the community. And I know Corey's, I think, tired now. He for, he's known me for a number of years and heard the change is personal uh, uh, statement more times perhaps than he's wanted to. But but it truly, it truly is. And that's where the mission, 
vision values piece, Corey, that you mentioned comes in. I don't care which change model you choose to adapt, whether it's it's Lewin's one that came out of the late 50s or, or late 40s, early 50s on unfreezing, changing and refreezing, whether you talk about Cotter's model from the business world and his eight steps, you could use that. Or you could use Michael Fullen's, if we want to go into education, Fullen's model uh, of change, where he looks at the three eyes and initiation, implementation, and then institutionalization when he looks at that process for change. The one common element to all change models in the front end is exactly what you stated, is making sure we're, we have a shared vision moving forward, common understanding, so one's not talking about A, the other B. Everyone knows what we're doing. They know why we're doing it before we actually start doing it. And that includes... And this is a thing that links to your candor comment, Corey. That includes allowing people to believe it is safe to say what they think might not work or what isn't working or what isn't, and that it's okay and it is safe to say those things, those kind of brave space standards, the gracious space situation to do those things. So, yeah, common mission, vision, and shared shared vision is the cornerstone of any successful change and a new leader is a pretty big change in any building. And I think that that's, that's uh, a huge piece, Randy, is that the the leader does change the entire building. And, and that is something that uh, I think people will be looking at with, uh, depending on the situation. In some cases, it's a, a lot of excitement. And in other cases, it's, you know, some, it's some animosity or anxiety around it. Uh, and so, realizing that everybody's going to kind of have a different uh, different feeling on what that's going to look like um, is important to remember. And I, I think that's one of the things that I saw from, from that activity that I was talking about. It, it was interesting because sometimes um, when you were asking about what's the one thing you want to change, there was huge alignment between staff that everybody was kind of saying, this is the, this is the thing that, uh, that we need to look at. Um, at other times there were, there was not alignment where some people were saying, no, we have to keep that. This is really important. And other people were saying, no, we have to change that. And so being aware that, you know, um, change is personal, but change is also individual. And, and it's not a case of just, um, we can't just start changing things randomly. There's, it has to be an intentional and a planned implementation as opposed to just kind of, uh, uh, throw the spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks kind of approach. Can I ask you guys to comment on one other thing? Because I this is something I wonder, and I'd, I'd really value your opinion on it um, before I start muttering. Um, there, oftentimes we, I mean, I was lucky. I went to a school as part of a leadership team. I had two incredibly talented and skilled uh, assistant principals, and I think that's been true through my entire administrative career. But often you go to a school where you are the administrative team a team of one or maybe a team of two uh, and, and how you build leadership capacity. I don't know if that's on, on topic for you, Corey, here, but I, I think part of going to a new school is is building the capacity for leadership within that building. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Well, do you know what? I've, I've come to to think a little bit more about that. I, I have also been really lucky to always work at schools where I've been part of a leadership team. And so this makes it so interesting. When we look at um, the nature of collaboration. When we look at how the how we can actually make progress when working as a team, 
And then we think about schools where there is only one person in the formal leadership team. That can be really difficult. And speaking with some other people who have lived that experience, I don't think I fully realized how hard that would be. Um, not only because, you know, all of the jobs fall on you, but I think even more than that is that having someone to bounce ideas off of, having someone to check biases, having someone to, um, to really clarify thinking. And so I think that, as you said, Randy, if you are in that position where you are coming to a school and you are the only formal leader, it is so important that you identify and develop other people as part of that leadership team. They may not have the role, they may not have the title, but they're going to have such an important job in making sure that decisions get made correctly. And I mean, we can get into distributed leadership and, and that whole conversation. There's absolutely going to be a time when you need to, you know, stand on your feet and make a decision. But I think that you're going to have to to lean on some other people to 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 make sure that you're making those decisions that are uh, in line, and so that you're taking a little bit of load off your shoulders. Um, that's the biggest thing, whether that be a, a mental load or whether that be a community expectation load. Uh, it can be really difficult, especially in some of these smaller towns, uh, in these smaller schools. I don't know if that's what you were thinking about, gentlemen. I, I think yeah. Like, how often did did conversations happen where the three of us are in a room and, and, you know, we're coming at it from three different perspectives and it was really the space in the middle where, um, where the actual direction came from, right. It was, it was kind of considering all of that and, and working as a, in a kind of a individual or solo uh, situation, not having that would be really, really challenging. And so building those relationships with, with the key people so that you have, uh, that informal ability to to set those directions is is really important because um, it definitely is the the sum of the the experiences of all everybody involved that really kind of makes those sorts of directions uh, possible. Yeah, it what the thing that kind of brought it to me. I remember Bryn that you came. Uh, it was part of your career. You came from a very small school that I'm pretty sure only had one one administrator um, that, that kind of worked there. So I knew you had some background in that. And, and I guess where, where I'm going with this is I think too often, a lot of the, um, the literature and the stuff that we, we give to our leaders in their leadership training is a lot of what I think Fullen and Leithwood and company would call that transformational piece, that visionary piece, that, that, that upper level. But there's two other, you know, types of, of leadership approaches, both the transactional. And I think you need some of those transactional people, those transactional leaders on your staff, the people who are the to-do list that just, okay, we we just got to get this done. Here are the parameters, here are the rules, we get it done. It keeps everything moving and keeps everybody feeling safe and secure. And then it allows those more visionary, transformative people to do some of the things that they do. But recently, and again, I don't know if this is true in your building, certainly is true in the world that I'm living in right now, is that move to what Shields calls the transformative uh, leadership, 
which has got a social justice orientation. And I'm thinking now of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the, the calls to action related to that. And I'm thinking of some of those equity-based uh, issues that are now pretty prevalent in, in most of the schools uh, and that the leaders have to factor into all of that environmental scanning and all that of the communities that we serve. And they're different. And I think you need, if you're going to be a, a good leader in a new place, you need to know who your transactional folks are, who are going to be the transformational folks who will look after relationships and look after things and, and make sure things are done in that way. And who are your transformative folks? Who are the people who see things a little differently? And that might help uh, to, to coin a, a phrase, uh, build the airplane while it's in flight. Or what, what's that phrase, Mr. Haley? Uh, agile leadership, uh, I think, uh, something akin to that. Uh, you might know a thing or two about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it definitely is uh, a big part of that. I, I think what, what resonated with me is that sometimes you can be so focused on change that you forget that there is the day-to-day -day operation that people need. There is um, secure, known aspects of school that people need to depend on. Uh, I've come to think that change is actually really only effective if you've got a stable base from which to move. And I, you know, when I, when I think about that in the context of moving to a new school, I think that that's probably more of your focus in the first year rather than uh, transformational. It, it is a little bit of that transactional. It should be showing people that everything's okay. Our day-to-day -day operations are going to be fine. Yes, you go on your fact-finding mission of, of, of understanding your school context, as you said, uh, environmental scan. But I think I think I, I had a, a good colleague of mine when, who was who was a real model for my uh, leadership development, and he said, "When you come to a new school, it's it's like giving birth. You wait for those ideas to develop." for nine months, and then you give them birth. And it takes that long for those ideas to actually come out in a fully formed um, uh, creation or, or um, format that will actually lead. You want to make sure that you understand everything, that you have a fully formed idea, that it's gone through all the trials and tribulations, and then uh, in his, uh, you actually start planning for the following year where you make changes. The first one, is really just about getting settled, making sure that everyone can trust you, making sure that you're you're not going to upset the apple cart. And that's perhaps not the greatest analogy, but it made sense to me in my mind. Well, I think that's really true, Corey. And I, I think it's that whole idea of you only get one chance to make a first impression, right? And and kind of setting that first impression about this is what things are going to, how what you can expect from me. Um, and from from our leadership team, this is how we're going to move forward. is is really really important to building that um, that calm and uh, predictable approach to administration. That that yeah, like the the transactional pieces is, is a key piece of that. Well, if I remember well, I, correctly, I, when we came together, there was a certain individual that made us uh, read the book "The Speed of Trust" before we arrived in the in the building. And, uh, and maybe you want to speak, I don't know if that's what you were going to say, uh, Dr. Hetherington, but you know, that's, that, that comes down to that. I think that, that, that idea that you can only make 
progress as fast as people are going to trust you and the decisions you make. And, and, and I think that speaks to a lot of what we talked about. Yeah, I think the book you're referring to is Trust Matters by Megan to Shannon Moran. Uh, and, and that, that, and there was also another, another beauty in there. I, I, I forced my administrators, the poor fellows to, to read all kinds of wonderful things. Um, uh, in that respect, but I guess if I look at what was the one thing, I, and I mean, we accomplished a lot of things uh, with our staff. They were they were a wonderful group, and we did a lot of things. But probably our biggest accomplishment in the first year was making the clocks all tell the same time everywhere in the building, and actually getting clocks that were and and just the sense of ease, and th- that created more joy around the building that everyone knew and was on the same time period. So, Corey, I mean, you nailed it. Sometimes we have to keep the building running. And and that's sometimes, I think, a mistaken thing, that people think that, oh, in your first year, uh, Hetherington's advocating that you don't change anything. Not at all. I'm going more along the lines of what you and Bryn just said, that you change the things that need to be changed to keep everything running smoothly while you... um, uh, build that baby, Corey, to keep your metaphor flowing for the, while, while you, you generate those bigger ideas that are going to move the institution and the whole, the whole place forward. But you still have changes to make. That's that transactional piece that really does truly have to be a, a part of it. And, you know, there, there's a question I'm going to, going to pose and it, it comes out of a, of an article way back when for the ATA Leadership Times, I think was the, was where it was published. But it focuses even on rural schools, because I know a lot of your audience, Corey, listens, uh, and they're in more of a rural uh, situation capacity. And it's even more important, if you're going into a rural school as one of those first appointments, that you understand about your community writ large and where that school is situated culturally, values, beliefs, etc., because there's going to be a lot more around it. You need to know who are the big voices in that community, who grants agency to people in that community who are the influencers i sorry i'm an old i'm an old guy uh, and i'm sorry about that but I, I i understand this term social media influencer or or influencers is a new thing these days i am not one of those people but <laughs> you, you do need to know who the influencers are so that you can make sure that you hear their voices and, and that that's kind of a key thing too if you're going to ask people what they think and you gentlemen are, are great models for how to do that with the staff and make it work. You didn't just ask your folks what they thought. You listened to what they said and you reflect that you didn't always agree and, and do, I'm sure, but you certainly listened and incorporated and people felt heard. And I think that is key to starting at any new places. How do you involve the voices so that they are not only heard, but they feel listened to? Uh, and that that's a bit of an art and a craft in and of itself that we we learn to sometimes from some of our mentors. So yeah, no, I just thought I would throw that 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 rural piece in, and yeah, trust matters in, in a big way. I would advocate for that book for anybody. Randy, I I always hear in my head whenever I think, oh, we should ask people that that whole idea of only ask questions that you're actually willing to listen to the answers on, uh, and actually willing to maybe potentially make some changes based on the feedback that you get. And uh, I think that that is uh, always important, but it is 
incredibly important when you're starting in a in a new building that whole idea of only ask the questions that you're actually willing to um consider the responses that you're you're going to receive about about in like in relation to those those areas um and then the other piece randy like like you were talking about never always look for those opportunities for the easy victories and those those simple things that you can do that that have huge pay huge dividends in terms of building relationship and trust um listen to your people and and when when somebody says hey this is something that's a relatively small thing that would make a big difference never never take a like never push that to the back always take advantage of those sorts of things because they are uh, they're incredibly important no i i agree and the other thing that i remember from from our time together is uh, oftentimes especially the smaller school that you get to um what is it the stp factor same 10 people um know who your same 10 people are pretty quick um and win them over like honestly you know those are the people that you want to to make sure that they they understand that you're on the same side that you're working together and you can you can make a lot of things because those same 10 people then go out into the community and they talk about your school oh don't you worry they're talking about your what you're doing um, and you're, and they're the inside track, they're the inside voice. And so when they're down at the, uh, you know, if you're out here in, uh, on the prairies, if you're out at the hockey arena in some of these small towns, well, they're looking to you, they're going to come or they're going to come up to the community is going to come up to that person. They know that you're, that they are connected and they're going to ask, you know, what is this person about? What are they doing? How's that interaction going? And, you know, you can do a lot of stuff in other places. It might be, you know, the, the soccer pitch or, or it might be the, the swimming pool or it might be any number of different places. Um, but also understanding what the community connections and the different, different connections inside of that school is pretty important too. And, and knowing, you know, how, how that web and that network of, of connections happens, that can be pretty important, uh, I would say. So let's talk about now <clears throat> longer term. So I want to I want to bring this subject up with your thoughts. Uh, we talked about there are some school divisions that want to move people every five, every three years. Some it's every five. Some don't have a thing. Here's the last question that I have for you. How do you know when it's time to go? Uh, what are some things that you both think about when it's actually time to make that move? What do you look for? What do you feel? How perhaps have you known when it was time to take on a new school and to, to switch uh, to switch to a new area? Bryn, you want to take that one on first? So I think for me, it, it, it comes down to that kind of change is always a good thing. It is, is a kind of a key idea of the way that I've approached uh, my time in education um, that, that opportunity to always be looking for change and, and not jumping on it early, but at the same time, um, always being open to, you know, maybe a change is a good thing. And so I think for me, when I have made changes in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, it, it, it came down to, um, that maybe, uh, we had accomplished, uh, some of the key pieces that we wanted to work on and, and we're kind of in that kind of transition zone where it's like, okay, what's the next step. Right. Um, and so does it make sense to make a change there? I'm, I'm always, uh, I, I think, and I, I, Randy, you'd be able to probably give us the research around this, but that whole idea of an implementation kind of, um, 
uh, like you, you end up, you end up hitting kind of a, a plateau. And so as you hit that plateau, being aware that, that maybe you're on that and that bringing somebody else in might allow for that kind of surge, because there is that surge when you have somebody new coming in, there's excitement, there's, uh, an opportunity to, to try some different things and, and not getting stuck on, this is how we've always done it. I think that, um, you know, that, that whole idea of this is how we, this is how we do things is, is great and it's predictable and it's important, but at the same time, this is how we do things can also lead us into a situation where we just keep doing what we're doing and not actually trying to improve. And so I think for me, it's, it's about recognizing when I have hit that point where this is how we do things is becoming the, the more um, predominant thought in my head, as opposed to um, continuing to, to push, push and, and try to improve. If that makes sense. Yeah, well, it certainly makes sense to me, and and it's different words for it, and different whether whether some people call it institutionalization when when you when a change is no longer a change, it's no longer the different, it's now the norm, and and getting that to the norm, and and those are always nice transition points, either to as you said, Bryn, the, the next change that's necessary. So we achieved that. Now, where are we? Let's do that scan again and figure out. And so a lot of folks will see that 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 completion of an initiative, that completion of something a, as a point of change, Corey, and, um, and succession planning, when you have the, uh, the the choice of when to go, as opposed to people transferring you or telling you, oh, oh congratulations, you have a new opportunity next year over at this new place. Uh, th- those are ones you can't control. But as much as possible, you try to, and this is, goes right back full circle to where we started in some ways to leadership capacity, is you try to make the things that you are doing to improve that school, to improve that community to be things that survive your departure. I've always been a, a, a proponent in any school, in any business, in any organization. People often say, oh, we have a great and the fill-in-the-blank program. I said, okay, who leads it? Great. If that person were to leave, would you still have the pro- – oh, well, no, they, and if the answer to that is no – then you really haven't gotten to that institutionalization stage, that embedding it in the culture stage. You haven't finished that change. It's still in progress because it's still dependent on the heroic leader or that that good. And it's not to say we don't need those transformational people to lead those initiatives or those transformative people to lead those initiatives. We do. But knowing when it's time to go, uh, I always told myself, um, and, and I stuck to it, that if I ever felt that I had done what I needed to do and needed to contribute in a different way, that that would be the day I would start making sure that the building was ready for me to leave uh, and, and for some new ideas, fresh ideas and things to come in. And hopefully, you know, that was what I was able to do in, in both of the schools uh, that I left as principal um, and came to. Because that's certainly what I think you, you, you seek to do. There's no year to it, Core. I, I don't think you can say it's after three or after five. I think it's school dependent, community dependent, context dependent, and person dependent. Would I have loved to have worked with the the dynamic trio for ten years? Sure, but circumstances change that after three, and then again after four, and you know it's just that's just what happens. Well, I'm going to bring up a, a different aspect of this. It's you know when it's time to go. I think the other thing that we haven't brought up is that when we move schools, there is a huge, uh, 
learning that happens for the leader. And so the other part of this might be, you know, if things are going well and, and you look in the mirror one day and you say, do you know what? Uh, you know, this, 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 <laughs> I don't want to say it gets boring because it never gets boring. But it's like, hey, you know, at one point or another, you look in the mirror and you say, maybe it's time for me to push myself so that I can learn in a new context. Alternatively, there are times when we can look around and say, hey, do you know what? I think that I could do a lot of good over there. You know, I, I think that we've done, you never want to leave a building where you think that you've left it worse than you, than you arrived. But there are times when things are going fairly well and you look around and that's where, you know, superintendents and, and more the executive leadership can look around and hopefully they've got a good handle of who their people are and, and where, they, where their strengths are. And there's nothing I think better than saying, hey, I think you could go to the school and have a really big impact on that community and those students and, and, and those, that staff. And I think that you've got strengths that would lead that. Or alternatively, hey, I think that this school would, uh, would present you with the opportunity to learn some new things. You're really great at all of these other things. But you know what? I think that this is going to push you to go. And, and that's always served me well. And what I mean by that is, Sometimes we learn best by thrusting ourselves into situations where we have no, no other alternative than to learn. And, um, and you know, I, I think that that's, that is really great positive growth. And, and so I know you both kind of said, okay, I'll, so I, I think the other aspect is really looking at it individually and saying, okay, there's also a, a personal part of that from the leader side. And refine things, right? Like there's how often do you do something that you've tried in a different building that maybe didn't go quite as uh, anticipated? And while we never want to leave a building worse, there are certainly times where, you know, this is an idea that we think is going to work really well and it blows up in your face or doesn't go the way you want it to. Um, but it's that opportunity to try that again and, and maybe retool and, and reset it. And, and I think that there's huge opportunity in that in learning and, and getting better at what we're doing. Do you know what we're going to, uh, I want to kind of move towards wrapping this up. And I think it's been a really great conversation and, and we brought up a whole bunch of different aspects. And so one last word, we'll go around the table one more time. And uh, one last bit to say, you know, final thoughts on, on moving schools and uh, when anything, anything that comes to mind right now. And, and we'll start with you, Dr. Hetherington. Sure. And, and this one's an easy and a short one. You'll be pleased to know. Uh, I, I, the one thing I would leave people with, if you're going to a new school, be prepared for the time commitment. Uh, a lot of people will feel that in a new building, there's so much to do. They lock themselves away in their office and paperwork and all these other kind of things. My advice is you need to be out with your people, out in the hallways, out greeting, out, spend the time. You can do the paperwork at a different time. Uh, and some people say, well, I can't afford to, to leave. I'm going to say you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to invest the time in getting to know your people, getting to know your community, et cetera. That will pay off such huge dividends down the road. Uh, it's a huge investment in the future of yourself professionally and of your building. So invest the time and know that it's coming. Yeah, Randy, I, I couldn't agree more. Being in the hallway and, and looking and, and being available to people and popping in on people when they have a prep to, to just sit down and, and talk and, and, uh, talking to your school community. And, th and then the other piece that I think is really important uh, is really talking to students and getting student perspective and, 
And sometimes we get really fixated on, you know, how, what's, what's happening with staff and, and how are staff feeling and, and how are parents feeling? Those are kind of the obvious ones. And, and sometimes uh, making sure that as an administrator, we're spending time with kids and, and getting to know what's going on in, from their perspective too. They're, they're a huge source of information. And uh, in a lot of cases will give us uh, pretty unbiased feedback about what's, what's working and then also what's not working. Uh, and so making sure that, you know, you're out on, on recess supervision or, or recess just to, to talk to kids and see what's going on for them and, and gathering feedback from them, I think is a, a big piece of, of really setting up and, and gathering, especially in that information seeking phase and, and uh, just getting the kids perspective. Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much. It's, uh, it's really good to, to talk again. Uh, I'm sure that we will come back together and, and, and talk about uh, our next topic. But as always, I really appreciate uh, both of your uh, perspectives and the knowledge you bring and just can't thank you enough for joining us today. So thank you very much.